PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Eclipse. Eclipse has helped physical therapists streamline their practices since 1985. Eclipse is a comprehensive all-in-one system that handles your billing, scheduling, and clinical documentation. Find out more at www.ineedeclipse.com or call 1-800-966-1462. We've really been trying to foster this paradigm shift in practice for many years where the therapists ground their interventions in the child's and family's routines and activities. And I wanted to really emphasize to them the words motor learning. It's really learning. It's not just about the motor. When we are providing people with perceptual motor experiences, what we're really doing is making them better explorers. Welcome to this PTJ discussion podcast, Grounding Early Intervention. When a child learns new motor skills, such as sitting, reaching, and grasping, there is a context beyond the motor component. There is a social context, a cultural context, and using those motor skills fosters the child's cognitive exploration and development. In today's discussion, authors Dr. Michelle Lobo and Dr. Reggie Harborn talk about their PTJ Perspective paper on early intervention with the chair of the Early Intervention Special Interest Group from the section on pediatrics, Dr. Lisa Shirello. And now, our moderator for today's discussion, PTJ Editorial Board Member, Dr. Jan Willem Harter. Hello, welcome to this discussion. My name is Jan Willem Harter. I'm an associate professor at the Department of Pediatrics at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm a member of the editorial board of Physical Therapy Journal. And a perspective paper has been published in the January issue of 2013. The title is Grounding Early Intervention. Physical therapy cannot just be about motor skills anymore. And I'm very excited about the title and would like to have a discussion. We have in the discussion Michelle Lobo. She's a research scientist at the University of Delaware. We have also on the line Reggie Harborn. She's an associate professor at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And we have Lisa Chirello, and she's an associate professor in the Department of Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Sciences at Drexel University. Welcome. Michelle and Reggie, can I ask you to briefly summarize your paper to the audience? Okay. Thank you for inviting us here to talk about this today. It's a pleasure to be here with Reggie and Lisa and Jan Willem. So this paper emerged out of an early learning consortium that was comprised of all the authors in this paper, as well as Dr. Cole Galloway. And we were excited to bring together our different expertise in early intervention research. And we got really excited about this new idea, which is really an emerging philosophy that's based on some ideas that have been present for much longer. This is the idea of grounded cognition. And grounded cognition, or sometimes called embodied cognition, is the idea that cognition is not something that's isolated or unaffected by what you experience, but it's this idea that cognition is created, shaped, and maintained by your everyday perceptual motor experiences within social and cultural contexts. And so we wanted to apply this idea to physical therapy and give real concrete examples of how this happens in development. And so we talked about object interaction, sitting, and locomotion as three of those examples of how PTs can apply this philosophy in their treatments and in education. 
This is Reggie, and I think as someone who's been a treating therapist for many years and has done a lot of early intervention, I can tell you that my understanding of this concept evolved over time. And even now as I'm teaching in pediatric courses, it's it's still evolving. It's easy to say that cognition and motor skills are intertwined and they're related, but how to apply that information in kind of every instance of behavior is a challenging task. So it was important for us to write this paper to lay the groundwork for how we wanted to proceed even in our own research and teaching. Well, thank you so much for explaining what the article is about. I'd like to invite Lisa to ask questions about your work. How do you see this work, Lisa? Yes, thank you so much for this opportunity to be part of this discussion. I'm very passionate about early intervention, both from a research standpoint as well as from a service provider, and that's kind of my dual role. I don't say this about many papers, but when I read it, I was like, every single pediatric physical therapist needs to read this paper. So I really do applaud my colleagues and friends for writing this paper. I was happy to hear Michelle say that many of the concepts that they've pulled together are not new in early intervention and in pediatric physical therapy in general. We've really been trying to foster this paradigm shift in practice for many years where the therapists ground their interventions in the child's and family's routines and activities, as well as promote relationships among the children and the important individuals in their lives. So I really think that my colleagues in this article have provided therapists with dependence to guide practice. The article also, in a broader sense, provides them the research to share with administrators and policymakers to advocate for the role of physical therapy and early intervention. The authors mentioned this in the article, and as chair of the Early Intervention Special Interest Group, I am asked that over and over again, how can I advocate for the PT's role in early intervention? And I think they eloquently have provided that synthesis for practicing therapists. Okay. Thank you, Lisa. Maybe you can go a bit back into the content of the paper. As you said, a lot of ideas were summarized and brought together in a new light of early intervention, which is very exciting. Can we go back to the theory? Lisa, can you help with questions about the theory? Yeah. Uh, So I do have one question for Michelle and Reggie. Historically, when theories of development and learning are taught, they're still taught kind of discipline-specific. So here's motor development. Here's cognitive development. Here's how we learn motor skills. So as we teach therapists then, it's very hard for them to kind of integrate that. So I was very fascinated by the terminology of grounded perceptual motor experience within the culture and social context. What I often hear therapists saying is when we talk about these contextualizations, that it's watering down the aspects of motor development control and motor learning. But instead, I see the theory as really enriching. So how do you feel that we can kind of, you know, bring this theory forward to practicing therapists and students in the best way? Well, I've actually just been struggling with this myself. So the idea is basically that in the past, physical therapists really concentrate on motor development and what motor development does for learning or for understanding things about the world. And we really have to take it back to how do those two things feed each other? So I actually just taught the motor learning part of our pediatrics course this week And I wanted to really emphasize to them the words motor learning. It's really learning. It's not just about the motor for PTs. So what do we learn 
as we do this new motor skill and how does what we learn help us to do the motor skill better or do it in a different way. So one example would be a child who can sit and who can reach something that's placed like right in front of them. And so you know they can reach, you know they can sit, but then you put that item a little bit just out of their reach and they don't understand that that item is still reachable because you have to do something a little bit different with your body to get at it. And so that action and understanding of, well, that object could be explored. I can't reach it, but I want to. And maybe being encouraged in a social context with the parents or other children who might get the toy because you're not getting it. All those things kind of blend together to encourage a new motor skill, which might be almost getting to the crawling position. And then once you get it, you're looking at it from a different perspective and you start to understand the thing has a backside and an underside and explore the shape a little. So all those things just kind of blend together. The class is called motor learning, but I am trying to figure out what I should call that class. I don't know yet. <laughs> no, thanks, Reggie. This is Lisa. I absolutely agree with you because as I was reading the article, I was thinking, wow, I really think we need to be teaching in context. So just as you said, when we're now teaching postural control or sitting, it's not isolating that. So within that really, as you said, blending together and making sure that the students understand that what it affords a child to do with their hands and with objects and with how they interact with people as well, how they're interacting with their environment to learn so that we're really fostering posture control within that whole contextualization of interacting with objects and people for play, for self-care, and for socialization. You know I've been teaching play and parent-child interactions to students and to therapists for years, and it's hard to get them to really make this connection that it really is all together. It's not this separate that we have motor and then we have play over here and we have parent-child interactions over here, but it really is very integrated. Mm-hmm. This is Michelle. If I could just add to that and even just step back for a second, and I'm still digesting how empowering this idea is for physical therapists and how really interesting it is because we used to think of language and social interaction and abstract cognitive processes as these pristine, abstract, untouchable processes. And then there's motor behaviors, which are lower-level behaviors. Well, what we're finding out now in the literature is that everything is interrelated and that even cognition is affected by the environment and what you're perceiving and how you're acting. And we didn't used to think that that was the case, but the evidence keeps pointing more and more in that direction. And so when we are providing people with perceptual motor experiences, what we're really doing is making them better explorers. And when you can explore and act on objects interact with people, cause events to happen, then you learn and you gather information about your world. And when you can't do that, you have less information gathering and less learning. And so really, I think of our job is not to promote perceptual motor development, but our job is to really make individuals better able to explore and to learn about the world that they're in. So I think for PTs, it's really empowering to know that we are not only changing motor behavior, but our changes in motor behavior are helping kids to become better learners overall. Yeah, that's really true. And this is Reggie. And while you were talking, I was remembering this morning we had our baby lab where we go over to the campus daycare and we go into the baby room with the physical therapy students. And there were two children, both the same age, although I didn't tell the students their age because that's part of their job to guess how old they are. And they always, the physical therapy students, always guess age by motor. They sort of forget the other areas that you might look at. So both these children were 
around eight months old. One was crawling and one was sitting nicely, but not crawling. And so they were thinking the one who was crawling was quite a bit older, a couple months older. And I showed them and we had talked about the idea of object permanence coming with crawling and why that would happen. So I hid a toy in front of the one child who was sitting and the child picked up the thing that was covering the toy and began to mouth that but not look for the toy. And the child who was crawling found the hidden toy and clearly was interested in, oh, it was under there and picked up and played with the toy that had been hidden. And I said, did you see that? And the students all looked like their jaws dropped. <laughs> like, that really happens. <laughs> you know, crawling does help somehow with object permanence, understanding the thing is still there even though I can't see it anymore. So it's not just that something matures, that cognition just happens. It's really related to how you can move around and discover things. Yeah, and therapists can't hear stories like that without being excited because our job is all about changing developmental landscapes. And so when you hear about experience matters, and now experience doesn't just matter to change perceptual motor development, but experience matters to change all these other aspects of development, that's really exciting because you can have impact that's so broad. Yeah, and I love the words you used about, this is Lisa, about empowering the therapist. I also think your article has implications beyond early intervention. We're supporting goal writing within the contextual. Many of the individualized family service planning forms have the so what statement. So you have, you know, Susan's going to walk 10 feet, but it's so what, so that they can join their family at the dinner table or at the game table. Whereas I like to see this extend beyond early intervention, that goal writing is contextual across systems of care. I agree, Lisa. This is Michelle. When we say that these processes of learning are across domain and across tasks, they're also across time. And that's something that Esther Thalen pointed out over a decade ago. But still, we haven't really picked up on that. And now that the literature is building and building, I would say for every area of practice in physical therapy, this is an idea that needs to be embraced because there's literature supporting, for example, the best way to promote memory retention and problem-solving skills in geriatric populations. If you look at reviews of the literature, the one thing that consistently pops out is activity level. It's critical in maintaining those types of abilities. Throughout middle age, activity level is not only a predictor of health, but also of cognitive ability and memory. So these relationships and these learning processes are ones that apply across the lifespan. I think that early intervention is an easy way to introduce this concept because we already embrace these ideas and have team interventions. And so it's a really nice platform, I think, to introduce this concept, but absolutely this concept is one that really could and should be applied over all areas of physical therapy. Well, thank you for the discussion so far, which gives me a really good understanding of the clinical context and how the ideas from the paper can be incorporated in practice. But can we expand a little bit on the research part? I also see it as a call for research to demonstrate effectiveness of targeted early interventions. Can we have a little discussion about that aspect of the paper? Can I ask Lisa to ask a question about it? 
Yes. So when you think of our traditional research approaches, that the randomized controlled trial is the gold standard for a research study. And I start to think about how in the world in a randomized controlled child can you, you know, tease out and study this grounded cognition when it's not one key ingredient. It's 10 key ingredients all integrated together that we provide a child and family. And so, you know, how can you study that kind of system in research? So if you have any thoughts to guide researchers further on where to start with tackling this. This is Reggie. I had this very sort of conundrum in one of the studies that we did, and we weren't looking at anything cognitive, but we were doing an intervention to advance sitting, postural control. And I started to notice that at some point when they became good sitters, they started to change the way they played and sort of notice details about objects, turn things over, just do more exploration, Um, seem to pause and reflect almost on how to do something, just their attentiveness changed. So this got me interested in how could that be incorporated into the next study that I did. And so we've just finished a small little pilot of two different interventions. So we compared two groups of children. It was small. It was just six children with a treadmill training intervention for one group and a perceptual motor training that really focused on problem solving and transitioning and letting the child figure out things but not pushing them, not guiding them too much. And at the same time, we gave them a test of problem solving where they had to interact with these toys. It's a standardized test. And the children... Interestingly, with the treadmill training, they both made the same advances in motor skills, but the children in the treadmill training got worse in problem solving, and the children with the perceptual motor got better in problem solving. Oh, how exciting. Um, So, and that's just a few children, but, you know, it kind of hit me in the face. I didn't expect anybody to get worse. You know, I thought they would both get better because children just advance because they get older, right? Yeah. But we have to be kind of teasing this out within our studies, you know, measuring the problem solving and the cognition and the exploration and how do things function, as well as some of the motor things that we do always measure and we know how to measure them pretty well now. And I think Michelle and her group have been studying some cognitive things along with motor. Yeah, and... What works for us is that we really do a combination of studies of typically developing children and children with special needs or children at risk. And so we set up these studies where we study series of events that the developmental theory suggests are related to one another with typically developing kids. And then that leads us to spend our time with kids at risk measuring those same things. Because we're also we're really cautious about wasting time and energy of our kids with special needs. So we don't want to throw in 800 measures just to see what's going to happen because for those kids, their exploration and playtime is often limited. And so we want to make sure that they are spending that time doing things that are beneficial for them, not just doing our tests for the heck of it. So we always do this combination of trying to study typical development to get our ideas and get our focus for studying kids with special needs. Okay. And just for some final remarks, I would like to ask you to make some remarks on where current physical practice is and where you think it should be going. Can you spend a minute on that, please? This is Reggie, and I think we have a real wide variation in standard of care that is provided. Even within my own school district here in Omaha, Nebraska, I can see differences between early intervention teams, some of whom very much 
use this grounded cognition idea and some of whom still have sort of our traditional roles that are sort of paralleling each other. You know, you do motor, you do cognitive, you do speech, whatever. So I guess I would challenge everybody to take a look at their own therapy. Try to think for each task that you're engaging a child in, how that affects either positively or negatively their understanding of the world, their ability to solve problems, their ability to use their body to solve a problem, and try to figure out ways to integrate that into their intervention and not just stick with sort of regimented approaches that might have been taught in a continuing education course according to some specific guru or something, but to really try to think. It's not easy. No, and I think, Reggie, thanks for those comments. And I think that also extends to the concept of assessment and progress monitoring as well, that some therapists are solely using standardized motor assessments versus some are broadening their assessment to look at a more ecological assessment and doing some very innovative things such as family journaling where families have a diary and they write down moments, these you know wonderful moments when they see their child like, aha, at a restaurant, the child does something and picks an object up and, and hands it and does some turn-taking. And so the family could jot that down in a diary and that can be part of your assessment of the progress that that child's made. And the family journaling can include video clips, but it's really documenting what a child does in the real life experiences, which is what we really ultimately want to impact. So I think it has some expanded implications for examination and assessment as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And this is Michelle. Just to build on that, too, I was thinking one key point that this concept supports is the transition from a culture of checklists and isolated environments to one that focuses more on process and play in the child's real world. So many states focus on delay as measured by a standardized assessment. The standardized assessments have significant challenges in identifying early delays, and the research does not support the use of these tools. So you go into someone's house, you remove them from their typical environment, you take them into an isolated, impoverished environment without people and other objects, and you provide them very discrete tasks, and you measure their performance on those tasks. And you determine whether or not they're delayed primarily based on this. And that's the culture of early intervention in most states. Some states allow you to override that with clinical judgment, but not all do. And I think that that's an inherent problem with the system. And it even starts to make people value the items on those tests so that those become goals that people write about. So hopping or walking on a line, things like that start to become things that we feel like we should focus on because they must be important they were in these standardized tests. When in reality, rather than just checking off if a behavior is present or not, what we should be doing is targeting the right behaviors with our research and with our interventions, picking behaviors that allow you to interact, to explore, and to learn. And our assessments might be better off being more play-based, even for very young infants. And so I think that's a challenge that we need to take on is figuring out ways that we can create better very early assessments for infants and encourage the early intervention system to appreciate that those can actually be better at identifying delays than the standardized assessment tools can be. Okay. Yeah, when I'm here, so let me wrap up. So I think we had a very lively discussion about the meaning of the perspective paper by Dr. Lobo and Harbone entitled Grounding Early Intervention. Physical therapy cannot just be about motor skills anymore. 
And if you want to read more about this article, you can find it in Physical Therapy Journal, January issue of 2013. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Send us your comments or suggestions about this podcast via email, ptj at scienceaudio.net, or voicemail, 626-593-7825. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. Thanks for listening.